Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. You're listening to the Music Is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. John Brennan! It has no wild pigs in it. Hold it up! Hold it up! Hold Ice cream man! Ice cream man! Uh, Alright guys, can we just go to the movie? Hold it up! Christmas is a miracle, and so are you. John, what, what are you doing? I'm sorry, man. I was just feeling the Christmas spirit. Okay. Mr. Herzkoff, are you sure you should be doing this? The fart harvester is perfect. But this fart harvester hasn't been approved by the FDA. There's nothing to worry about. It's the fartane of youth. Some might call it the fountain of pee youth. Get it? P-Youth? Work with me. Your show on Shudder, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, is the reason why I kept my Shudder accounts all these uh-huh. years. <laughs> I admit I really wasn't a fan of Monster Vision growing up because the kind of horror that I loved growing up was not on the major networks. Maybe USA Up All Night had a couple of them. First exposure to trauma, my brothers saw Toxic Avenger in the theaters. It actually came to the UA Astoria Theater. I think it's a Dwayne Reed or a Walgreens Uh, on the corner of 30th and Steinway. But before then, it was a movie theater, and Toxic Avenger was in that theater. Wow. When it came out on VHS and they were able to rent it from our local mom and pop store, the first thing I remember was the scene where... Skippy. When Skippy's (laughs) about to get his head crushed. My brothers are like, okay, pause the tape, get Louie out of here, because I think it was seven or eight at the time. I didn't get to watch it until it was on USA up all night years later when I was like 12. And my parents were out, so I was like, I get to watch Isaac Avenger. Ah, they killed the kid on a bike! (laughs) Yeah, Skippy, played by the great Dom Calvito. That scene is so cited as the scene that messed people up as a child. Countless people have told me, Lloyd, whatever, whatever, that that was the scene that, like, ruined their, their brain as a child. And rightfully so, because even today when you watch it and you know how it was done with a melon and all that, it's mm-hmm. brutal. They back up over the freaking kid. <laughs> and, and and it has to be the right melon. It can't be a watermelon. 
Nope. And you you nope. can learn that by watching the Make Your Damn Movie film series. Uh, you know, the yep, DVD uh, Trauma Lesson in Head Crushing. Look that up on YouTube. You can find it. Lloyd gives you the very specific way to make a head crushing right. I admit the scene where they killed the dog when they killed Sarah's dog. Yeah, that too. Oh, it hurt brutal. me. But then I saw the dog breathing and I'm like, wait a minute, that's spaghetti on him. It's like, oh, <laughs> the dog's fine. Okay, good. <laughs> Lloyd also said that that of all the things that they ever did in, in trauma movies, that the most hate mail that they ever got, or maybe the only hate mail, I forgot which one, but it, he said it was the dog. When they shot the dog, people didn't like that. But the dog was still breathing. You could tell that Patrick, uh, <laughs> it's Patrick, I think that's his name. Uh, he didn't really shoot the dog. And the dog, the dog, that was a good slide the dog did, by the way. The, the dog thing, loved you know, it. They just like slid it across the floor. It was having fun. Yeah, dogs love that. I have a Shih Tzu. When I slide him across the floor, he runs back and gets a position. He's like, do it again, Love's, do it again. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, you know, and I'm an animal lover and I yeah. believe in animal welfare, so I would never hit hurt an animal. But no, dogs like to slide. They do. Mm -hmm. Seeing the dog actually breathing after it was killed, it's like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about The Last Drive-In is the fact that it kind of combines Joe Bob, what he did with Monster Vision, what he did on the movie channel with USA up all night, but you're showing the horror films that real horror fans love, you know, Reanimator, the Phantasm film series, the Halloween film series. I think it's really the best combination of comedy and horror on TV today. And I think it's great that you, Justin and Matt, who came from Troma, are working on it. But how did you guys initially get involved? Matt Mandrides was at a film festival. I believe it was Fantasia. And was talking to the people from Shutter, just having a conversation. And he said, hey, what do you guys think about Joe Bob Briggs? And it just went from there. Of course, Justin Martell got involved and then they got Austin Jennings involved and a testament to him as well, who also helps pick the movies and Justin and Matt, they all are huge genre fans with Joe Bob and Darcy. The whole creative team picks these movies because they, they go from the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows, you know? And even if they don't like the movies, they know that it's historically accurate to pick these movies for a certain times and just tell the stories and so i got involved after they were you know kind of putting things together and they got a little bit of development money there was original budget and it got slashed from like a real budget to basically like thirty thousand dollars or something like that and that was supposed to be development money but God bless, you know, Justin, Matt, Austin, and Joe, Bob. They said, we're going to make the thing for 30 grand. We're, forget it. Let's just do it. We, Justin and Matt come from the trauma system. They said, we could do this. So they did. That first marathon was shot in a shoebox in New Jersey. Uh, literally, like a, the smallest studio you ever saw. And everybody worked for basically zero dollars, maybe like a couple of hundred bucks for the day or whatever. At most, they put it together, they got it done, and it was a huge hit. So uh, that's another lesson that everybody should take is even if you, a door slams, you can figure out how to make it work and get it out there because... It's, it's possible. I got hired sort of as like a production coordinator, production manager sort of thing, and was like doing almost everything that I could, like helping move things and get the catering and go to the guitar center to pick up a piece of equipment and this, that, driving all around. But before that, Matt, who had known that I had done some music, he asked if I wanted to take a stab at a demo for the theme song. I said, yeah, absolutely, sure. So I, I wrote that it. theme song. Oh, thank you so much. I love it too, because that theme song was the fastest and most easy creative thing I've ever had to do. And also the fact that it was greenlit right after 
I sent it to everybody. I had a quick phone call after everybody heard it with Austin. And he said, if you could take this demo and put like slide guitars on it, organs, you know, maybe a fiddle, all that stuff. It's the theme song. So I said, I'll do that tomorrow. So, <laughs> so I went into a studio, got it together. And now that's what you hear. So it was just like a testament to, again, without me giving myself away for free and then working for cheap for trauma for all that time, not being able to afford anything on a $350 a week salary. To- oh my God. God, you blew it. <laughs> you blew- <laughs> oh, yeah. They'll admit it. They was paying people $350 a week in the 90s and never increased. <laughs> It's $350 a week. I think they still pay people. But hey, look, if you could if you could afford to do it, it's worth it. Because look at me. I went, I learned a trauma. I met Matt and Justin. And now I'm on a hit TV show with Joe Bob Briggs. I mean, Jesus Christ, I would do it all over again and sacrifice everything just to be in the position that I'm in. That's the lesson. Do it. Just meet people. Do it. Because you never know what people are going to go on to do. And you never know what they'll ask you to do down the line. So that's my story. I just, you know. I, I kind of lucked out just being available. You definitely paid your dues. And you know what? I mean, I'm really proud of the success that you've had. It's good when good things happen to good people. And Thank like you. from Thank the moment you, so you met me, from the moment I met you, like I just thought, I was like, oh man, he's a good dude. I hope he does well for himself. And then Thank the you. moment- There's about five or six people who would disagree with you in the world, but I cut them out of my life. Don't let them tell you anything different. God damn it. I cut them out. <laughs> And he's here, you're not. That's Anywho. right. Yeah, I'm on this podcast and you're sitting in a freaking garbage dumpster somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is that the honor chemistry between all the casts is great, especially with, with, with Joe Bob and Darcy the male girl. And I know whenever I see you and Yuki Nakamura. Yuki Nakamura, the Osaka Cowboy, Tokyo. You're not from Tokyo. All great artists are from Osaka. Tokyo. Okay. Yuki Nakamura, the, who claims to be the Tokyo Cowboy, our, our set designer. Oh, Yuki's my, he's my roommate when we shoot the show. He's one of the greatest blessings of my life. I mean, he's also because of trauma. He came into trauma following up on a, a Craigslist ad on a stormy February in 2018. It was like the biggest rainstorm I'd seen. And he came to trauma to basically show his uh, portfolio to build a set for Shakespeare's shitstorm. And I'm looking through it. A guy built a freaking spaceship. He built a spaceship using the technology from Inception and it would spin and he did the whole thing and he showed me how he did it. I said, this guy's a genius. I, I got to work with this guy. So we use it for Shakespeare's shitstorm. And then when Justin, Matt, Austin, uh, they were looking for somebody to help build the sets for the last drive-in, I suggested Yuki and the rest is history. He's now on the show. He's beloved by the fans. It's amazing. He's a production designer for years. I mean, he's been he's been doing it since the 80s the 70s like he he worked with Sonny Chiba he, he's done all kinds of stuff I like to say that he's sort of like the Forrest Gump of production designers because ah. like somebody will mention a name right it'll be like oh John Cage they would be like oh I worked for John Cage I set up his whole piano whatever whatever and then he sat down and he performed 433, but there was no music. He just sat at the piano for four minutes and 33 seconds. So he like has experience. He said he worked for the Pope. He, he made, uh, you know, when the Pope had the John Paul II had visits in, in New York, I don't know, the 90s or the 80s, he he set up the set. And he said that he saw an aura around the Pope that was like glowing. And stuff. <laughs> 
Yuki has met so many people and has so many stories. It's incredible. I know that there was an incident with Darcy, portmanteau Diana Prince. Some online trolls, they were insulting her personality, her looks, her character. And look, it's no secret that we know Darcy has a background in the adult film industry. And I think it's ridiculous that people resort to that as an insult to her today when it's so far removed from who she is today. I think it's great that the outcry of support from the fans of The Last Drive-In was overwhelmingly positive and the support showed to her from the team, especially Joe, Bob, and you. I thought it was so inspiring. And thank the good Lord that she stayed on board. I knew she was an adult film star. If I say I didn't watch it growing up, I'm a freaking liar. And you know, every every red-blooded American male (laughs) has. When I think of Darcy, I don't think of her porn past. I think of what she's doing right now. And I love what she's doing. What do you remember about this period? And what do you have to say about it in retrospect? No, the fact of the matter is you could not find a better ambassador for the show, The Last Drive-In, because she not only is a fan, she's learned in the genre, and she also is the real deal as far as answering all of the questions she gets online and and being active with the community and keeping them together and, and, and excited and really does field the mail like she gets the mail and she reads it and she suggests this is the letter we should do with this she is the real deal and if you're gonna use her past against her what have you done look into your past i don't know who you are like look at the uh, all the people online who come out against people and say things what have you done maybe you murdered somebody maybe you're a racist maybe you're a piece of garbage who doesn't take care of your kids i don't know you so i don't trust your word i don't trust anybody unless i know them i think there's those old sayings like people in glass houses just wait until your past gets exposed because it's going to be far worse than having some good sex on camera Like, that's the worst thing that anybody could possibly do, man. If I was ripped and I had a huge dick, I'd be in porn in two seconds. That's the best job in the fucking world. Are you kidding me? You get to have sex with beautiful people all day and get paid for it? I'm in. Unfortunately, I am me. So that's that. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous that people come out. She's such a sweet person, a real person. And if you don't like it, then go watch, uh, I don't know, uh, Tucker Carlson and uh, jerk off to that. (laughs) Or you could watch CNN and jerk off to Brian Settler. But why would you do that? (laughs) People have kinks. They'll never admit it, but they do. Just be open and honest. And what's the worst that can happen? I mean, as long as you haven't hurt people or destroyed people's lives. Yeah. That's it. I love Darcy. I think she's great. She did it her own way and she made it her own way. Good for her. The show would absolutely not be the same without her. Definitely not. Uh, It would not be as good without her. I I heard either from Joe Bob or Darcy, Joe Bob, when he wasn't Joe Bob for a while, there was a pause, right? There was about 17 years from Monster Vision to The Last Drive-In. Correct. Between that time, he wrote some stuff and, you know, worked on other things. He wrote a book, as John Bloom called, Eccentric Orbits, and I believe it's like a physics book or something like that. So he had a signing as John Bloom this intellectual book and she showed up. This is way before the last driving was even a thought in anyone's minds. She showed up as a male girl and was like, I just love the drive-in. I, I'm cosplaying as a male girl or whatever, whatever. And Joe Bob remembered that because it made him feel so good that this person remembered his past as a horror host, remembered his show Monster Vision and was honoring him in this like what could have been a stuffy like intellectual book signing. And she brought flair to it and he never forgot that. And when it came time to cast a male girl for the last drive-in, she was his first choice. That's amazing to me. That's such a beautiful thing. She did that for fun. She never expected to do that and 
then become the actual male girl. But that's a testament to her just putting herself out there and, and, it, and it worked. I think the chemistry between everyone on the show, on camera and behind the scenes, it's awesome. I'll take that over any sitcom over the last 10 years. We're all fans. First and foremost, if I was not involved with this show or watching behind the scenes or any of that stuff, I would be watching on Fridays as a fan. Yeah. If I had no relation to it. So I think that shines through with everyone behind the scenes. I mean, everyone from the top to the bottom, to the middle, to the left, to the right. We're all fans of Joe Bob. We all believe in what he's doing. We think he's a genius. And he is. He, he I mean, he's he's a one take wonder. That guy spews that information out all in one go. It's, there's no cuts. There's no nothing. I think I saw him like take back maybe like three times in the four seasons that we've done it's just an incredible feat to watch so we're all fans it's and i feel like the genuine love for it shines through and what we've done so far and hopefully we can continue it on for a few years i'd like to be doing this for at least another two or three seasons so i hope so i mean i will continue to sing the show's praises and everyone who's on it because uh, honestly it's the best you know, three plus hours of TV you can get in one sitting, in my opinion, you know, and I say that as a fan of horror and I say that as a fan of the show. So, and no other show right now, almost no other show other than like live sports or maybe wrestling has that live premiere Friday night quality where everybody's watching along, everybody's on social media, making jokes, tweeting and celebrating these unheralded genre pictures nobody else is doing that so i feel like we're in a good place to be like something original and something that has sustainability for years to come i gotta admit though the one film that was hard to watch was cannibal holocaust i had seen that eight years ago for the first time ever i'm sitting on the couch watching it i got my puppy with me i knew there were animal killings in it i, mean, I knew it yeah but to see them on camera like when they spear the cult of Monday, and i'm holding my puppy i'm like no one's ever gonna do that to you boy no one's ever gonna do that to you you know it's like i'm <laughs> freaking out as I'm watching this the scream it let out oh so, yeah i saw that many years ago and i had vowed never to watch it again and then when yeah. we did it i said yeah let's try it out and i did and i think the second time i was much more comfortable with it because i saw the true value in it as far as its place and time and i understand that animal killings are horrible and this and that but it happens <laughs> So he just captured it on film and, uh, you know, it's, it's in there. It makes you feel a certain way. And I think in that regard, he's a success because he wanted you to feel the way that you feel. And I will say this about Ruggiero Deodato's film. It still kind of holds up, especially in today's society where it seems like decency is desensitized. I'm not trying to say this for brownie points in anything, but we've kind of come to that point right now where it's like people are treating each other like shit more today than they ever have before. Certain values that should be upheld are kind of like looked down upon, like just not being dicks to each other. It's sad that that kind of mentality is kind of fallen by the wayside. And I hate to admit it, but a film like Cannibal Holocaust kind of shows where society's kind of at today. Politics has become pro wrestling discourse has become what'd you say about my mama you know i'll kill you and you do we eat the pig and then together we burn it's evil is eternal there will be evil there was evil at the dawn of man there will be evil at the end of man it's just it's within us and we have to confront it in certain ways so that we could suppress it 
That's that's what I truly believe. And that's what I think that a lot of things with horror is it's like working it out psychologically, how we deal with these huge issues like evil. Evil! Indeed. Any one of us could do it any moment. I mean, if somebody on the subway pisses you off, you have the capability. You or I have the capability to destroy someone if it's right. really like happy if, if we have to. But also, we've done horrible things to people. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we? No, you know what I mean. Like, no, I, I, I'm no saint. I, I've I've done no, no stuff I've regretted. I even think the saints aren't saints. Like, okay, they did great things, but I'm sure that they fucked around and did something stupid. And you know, forgive well, them. But you're right. Did. Saul of Tarsus, you know, he was sainted, but he killed a shit ton of people. So yes, yeah, of this is the thing. I'll be cool with everybody as long as they're not an asshole. If you're an asshole, go away. I don't need you in my fucking life. If you're cool, exactly. if you could chill, if you could reason, let's do it. I, I don't even care if you insult me. Just don't be a fucking asshole. I agree. And honestly, like, you're the kind of guy I'd love to pick up an acoustic guitar and write some funny songs with, you know? Yeah, I write, I write songs about all kinds of stuff. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> chicken <laughs> i love it i love jam. it jam we'll make a song about pancakes oh my god i actually i just found gluten-free pancakes because one of my family members has celiac disease so uh-huh. i'm looking forward to trying that out so far everything i've tried that's gluten-free it's not bad it tastes pretty good i can't believe i'm promoting gluten-free food on the podcast <laughs> right now go war to me This is what happens when, like, the the interview turns into, like, a conversation between two people who just get along. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I'm not making apologies for it. Fuck you if you don't like it. (laughs) I I love all food. Gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian. I don't care. The only thing that I really don't like are popcorn-flavored Jelly Belly M&Ms. They're the worst, most vile food on the face of the planet. That exists? Yes. And other than that, I'll eat whatever the fuck you give me. I oh, dear. I, I, I'll never try that on principle. <laughs> I'll eat goddamn bugs before I eat popcorn flavored <laughs> jelly belly. <laughs> For real. So let me ask you this. What would you say, like, are the major differences between working with someone like Lloyd Kaufman and Joe Bob Briggs? Well, differences, I mean, they're very similar in a lot of ways, but differences would be Lloyd loves chaos. And Lloyd, I know he's stated it in the past, he believes that a lot of the best work arises from a chaotic environment. So you could do all kinds of planning for months and months and months. And then the day of set on set, if he says, I want to do the frogs in the corner, I need 50 frogs. You got to get those 50 frogs by hook or by crook because Lloyd wants it and he's the director. I guess a perfect example would be getting the duck for Return to Newcomb High Volume 1. Sure. Unfortunately, I wasn't there at the time, but they did a duck starter. I mean, that whole thing is amazing to me. Kevin the Wonder Duck. Kevin the Wonder Duck. The 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 highest paid actor on Return to Newcomb High Volume 1. And they needed two ducks because the ducks can't be alone. They need a companion. So it had to be. It was a whole thing. I love that. I remember reading that. On the other side with Joe Bob, I believe he likes prep and planning and he likes to know what uh, things going to be and while he is spontaneous all of that is mostly pre-thought out pre-planned pre-written and then he goes on the rant so i feel like he's more of a structured person not not that lloyd isn't structured i mean of course lloyd he writes for a whole multiple years before he ever does a project but i feel like he's more into chaos creates great art and joe bob's more of like sort of a structured situation but as far as their similarities i mean look at, at these two guys who used a sort of a niche 
niche market or a niche genre and rose to in the ranks to become these legends. And they're so learned about film. I mean, Lloyd, I had the last conversation with him. He's telling me all, all these Fritz Lang movies to watch and uh, how he met Lenny Riefenstahl. And Lloyd is a huma- is a movie nut. And, and I love talking to him about old films and stuff like that. And not everybody knows that about Lloyd. He's a historian in a way. And similarly with Joe Bob, I mean, that guy knows every exploitation movie ever made and has an opinion on them all. And he loves a lot of them. So it's like those guys are really uh, similar tastes as far as movie watching and movie consumption. I can't help but compare Lloyd Kaufman to another one of my favorite New York directors, and that's Mel Brooks. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> he looks like him. What's your problem? You're Mel Brooks. I get that a lot. We're not all perfect. Both original in terms of their output and in terms of bringing their visions to life. And when I say that I compare them, that's not an insult. I never. How could you be insulted? I think Mel Brooks wouldn't even be insulted. I mean, Lloyd is uh, he's an original, you know, and that. Yeah. Mel Brooks is an original as well. I could truly say that I love almost everything that you've ever done. For me, hands down, Toxic Avenger will always be my favorite trauma film Mm -hmm. uh, because of what it meant to me growing up, especially as a kid who kind of didn't fit in with anybody or anything. And having that film to relate to it was great. Class of Newcomb High, I'll always love that film. And I'm happy to say that one of the first interviews that I ever did outside of college before I started the podcast, I got to interview the actor who played Bozo and Pete, Gary Schneider. Oh, cool. And he was so awesome. You know, he answered all my questions. No, I'm very grateful that I had that time with him. My first traumatic interview experience. Hell yeah. That was pretty cool. I mean, I love what Joe Bob and what Lloyd are doing. Who is a filmmaker that you would love the opportunity to work with, though? Ooh, that's a tall order. Living or Dead? Uh, (laughs) Are we talking fantasy here or reality? Well, I would hope living so you don't get eaten. (laughs) Uh, Okay, okay. All right, so living filmmakers. You know, I would love to be on a Quentin Tarantino set and just see what it's like, how he gets the the performances, what he does, only because he's like such a fan of movies. And I'm, I'm interested to know how he translates those things on set. I mean, I'm sure he does a lot of it in, in prep, showing the movies, this, that, the other thing. But I'd just like to be on set to see him. He is the filmmaker that influenced, I feel like, my generation the most because when I was in college, every motherfucker was making two hitmen talk about eating pussy and then they kill their girlfriend by accident and then they have to bury the body. Like everybody was like doing the Quentin Tarantino Mm -hmm. hitman thing, everybody. So he had such a huge influence on my generation that I'd like to see how he actually works. Who else would, I would love to be on a, like a Spielberg set, That that's, that's. Wow. Really? Oh yeah. Because that's the height of, that's the highest you can go in Hollywood. In my opinion at this time is Steven Spielberg, because I mean, he has the gravitas of all the things he's done in the past, even though I don't agree with the fact that he remade West side story. I think he could be using his talents for other things that are, not remakes. I would love to see one of those humongous sets. I remember a story, I think it was Ed Burns told on the set of Saving Private Ryan that he missed the catch of a grenade or something happened and Spielberg walked up to him. He goes, you know, you just cost us $100,000. You mind catching it next time? You know, so <laughs> so when the stakes are that high, I would love to see how people handle that sort of pressure and things like that. Yeah. One of my favorite films that probably came out in the last decade was Drive from Nicholas Winding Refn. And yes, he's I very absolutely good. love what he does. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, any of those guys that are working in Hollywood, but also have a, a sensibility of independence. I love that. He's like a, a middle ground between the trauma system and the Hollywood system, I'm sure. Right. You know? Like he's still underground to not really be mainstream, but he's mainstream enough that his films do make a good impact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, I remember seeing that film and I'm like, can't believe I'm watching a film with Ryan Gosling. But then I didn't think of him as Ryan Gosling. I just saw them as the driver. And I was like, wow, he really kind of dug into that role. A great film. And I recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. If you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? <laughs> as far as Tarantino is concerned, I mean, I didn't get to see his last film with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. But the Kill Bill films, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and Hateful Eight. Loved all those movies. But the one film that I keep going back to is still Reservoir Dogs. Hey, that's great. He hasn't really had a, a stumble except for parts of Death Proof, in my opinion. See, Other than I, that, I love Death Proof the more I watch it. Oh, I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's still better than 90% of the garbage out there today. But I feel like he leaned too far into like, okay, these girls are friends. And like those exploitation movies... He Tarantino'd up an exploitation movie. And I feel mm -hmm. like he had such an interesting concept that he could have gone further into Stuntman Mike and all that stuff and what makes him tick instead of giving us a 15 minute lunch scene with them talking about some shit that I don't even remember, you know? So. I could see that. But I mean, to this day, the film of his that I still have the hardest time watching is Jackie Brown. I can't sit through it. I, I oh, don't really? know. I why. love Jackie Brown. It, it's Jackie Brown is it's a meditation. It's it's. It, that's the kind of movie that I like let wash over me. You know, it's, I don't even, I don't have any expectations. I don't, I just let it happen. And then at the end, it's almost like a fever dream. It's like, Oh shit. I, and then I, you remember it. Yeah. You know, I completely respect the the fact that people out there like it. You know, I'll try to give it another chance. It's just, it's, it's hard for me. I don't, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm just used to a certain filmmaking process, but then again, you know, we had uh, Tara and Adam from Just a Cheese, Please on Rathsai Review. And we did a film from 1993 called Motorama. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No. But it's, it, it, was, it was written by the guy who wrote After Hours. I think it was that film. Oh, okay. Sure. And it was just so weird. But it had so many cameos. Like it had Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You had Meatloaf. You had Mary Warrenov in it. You had Jack Nance in it. You had John Deal in it. Michael J. Pollard and Garrett Morris were in it and all wow. the cameos. But I'm watching this film and I'm like, what the fuck am I watching this hour and a half film? Um, I'm going to check that out for sure. It's on Amazon Prime. You know, God, rest, God bless you for watching it. <laughs> oh, so you're not recommending it. <laughs> I, I, I'm not recommending it. I'm not not recommending it. Okay, I'm just okay. saying enter at your own risk. Abandon faith. All ye who enter here. That's okay. what I'm saying. Well, my, so my movie watching this year, I've decided that hopefully all, if not the majority, will be movies from pre-1980, only because there are so many classics I know I haven't seen. And it's just there's something about modern movies now. It's like I feel like give them five years to ripen. You know, so mm -hmm. I've gone back and this whole month I've been watching crazy shit like fucking William Castle movies and Ray Harryhausen movies and just things that I, I know of. And I may have seen parts of their uh, uh, filmography, but I want to complete those filmographies because I need to know what's going on because that's the language of cinema. And I feel like the problem with a lot of today's or my, and I don't say I'm not saying all I just feel like some of these modern movies, it's more about the 
people wanting to be famous and get a cash grab than actually trying to make uh, a lasting piece of art. Yeah. So it, I agree with you. And I'm not saying all. I'm definitely not saying all. I mean, this. I mean, I thought the last Spider-Man movie was fucking awesome and, and a piece of art, you know. But then you get into certain things where it's just like, you know, I don't know, cash grabs all over the place. And I, I don't, I don't, I wish I could have a cash grab. I'd have a cash grab in two seconds. But <laughs> something about my my the food for my mind nowadays, I need to feed it uh, in a way that I used to not have to. I think heart is missing. From a lot of films. Heart, def- absolutely. Um, I will say I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. And you haven't seen that yet. See, for me, it it hit on the nostalgia factor. I'm not gonna lie. But it also hit on fan service, which I'm not against. Yeah. Because there was still a purity and a love there for what uh Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd originally created yeah. and paid beautiful tribute to Harold Ramis. So for me, that's probably the first film in a long time that I can honestly say, you know what? It was worth the purchase. Now, yeah. in terms of 70s films, I'll always hold that Mad Max is oh. uh, one of the best. The Road and- Warrior is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. of all time. I mean, that's just like, to me, a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. I, all of them, all of them, even beyond the Thunderdome. Give me Tina Turner in a fucking futuristic dystopian, uh, you know, the desert. goddess. Ah, oh, so good. Do well, you have any I've... cool stories about any of the of the guests that you had? I know we were uh, sure. talking about Tom Savini off cameras. You can go ahead and talk about that too. So with Tom Savini, I don't know why, but I, as people have said, a few, a couple of people throughout my years working at Trauma, whatever, whatever, just people in passing said that Tom Savini is like. Uh, kind of mean and like whatever I was nervous because I had to pick him up from the airport and sort of like get him settled and stuff like that and I gotta tell you he's like the sweetest most open coolest fucking guy ever and I was like I can't believe that I was listening to these other people and they like affected my nerves as I was going to pick up the great Tom Savini and he was just so cool and uh, I just had a great few days like talking to him He, he was so open he would answer any question he was like you know, he actually at one point handed me his book and I was like leafing through and he's telling me stories. And I'm like, damn, man, this is fucking Tom Safini. This is the coolest shit ever. So, you know, that, that was sort of a lesson to me is like, don't go in with any preconceived notions about what other people think of people and stuff like that, because a lot of times it's just incorrect or, or maybe like they got him on a, a on a day at a convention where he was like you know overwhelmed or something who knows what the hell they were talking about but in my experience i was like this is the last time i'm ever gonna pre like work myself up like you know about something like because i was just nervous to meet him and i was like i don't want him to be mad at me for anything <laughs> you know he was like the fucking sweetest guy so that was cool. And oh man, just so many guests that we've had on the show. Barbara Crampton was so amazing. Chris Jericho, fucking cool guy. Just knew about metal and just having normal conversations with him, you know? That's the thing about a lot of these people. I feel like, I mean, you know, at least with me, you build up sort of in your mind like what they are based on their persona. But most of the times, that's just their persona on camera. Behind the scenes, they're real people that you could have real discussions with. And they're not, they don't want to be a douchebag to anybody. They want to have a normal time, do their work and get it over with. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the way I've started to think about the guests as far as just like, I don't force myself upon them. They don't have to force themselves upon me, but when the meetings of the mind happen, 
beautiful. In Jericho's defense, him being a pro wrestler, I know he's used to how to generate heat from the audience. Oh, yeah. Sometimes, though, that audience, they fail to realize when the work ends and when the real person begins. I can understand, like, if he's having a meal with his family or whatever, and someone comes in and goes, hey, Jericho, you're a dick. It's like, you know what? You deserve to get clocked in the face for that. If you walk up to somebody when they're eating a meal, you're you're the fucking moron. You just leave them alone. Let let me get them on the way out or something. But don't walk up to them while they're eating with their family. What's your problem? Like, don't you know how to respect other humans? One of the most positive experiences I've ever had. I was working in the city. I was actually working for ASCAP, which is right across the street from the Lincoln Center building. And I had just bought concert tickets. I think it was for Iron Maiden at the Garden at Tower Records. And I was walking back. And who do I see walking the opposite way from me? It's Robin Williams. And I said, Mr. Williams. And he said, yes. You know, just like in his (laughs) Robin Williams voice. And I said, sir, I just wanted to say I absolutely love the work that you do. And I wish you all the best with your career. And he said, thank you so much. And he extended his hand, shook it. And I said, have a good day, sir. He said, thank you. You as well. I got to fucking shake Robin Williams' hand. That's it. And you don't need to go into any further detail. You know, it just... You let him know he's meaningful to you. And that's enough. That's enough. Exactly. I didn't want to bother him. I just wanted to say, dude, I love what you've done. Thank you. You Yeah. And usually when I meet celebrities that I'm not working with or whatever, and I want to say something, it's that simple. It's like, thank you for your work. It's very meaningful to me. Have a great life. You know, it's like, keep doing what you do. It's that simple. And that's the best way, in my opinion, to do it. Yeah. And if we're fortunate to strike up a conversation, hey, great. Hey, y'all. Yeah, even more. Mo better than than. Uh, but if it doesn't happen, you shouldn't then go around saying, no, oh, you snubbed me. Who are you? Uh, Who are yeah. you? He's going to meet Billy Crystal down the block for drinks. You think that you're important? That's Billy Crystal. He's going to meet. <laughs> what films would you like to see covered on the last drive in that you haven't done yet? This will never happen. But my ultimate double feature would be Phantom of the Paradise with mm-hmm. Paul Williams as the guest. And then Rocky Horror Picture Show. That would be my ultimate last drive-in double feature. That would be awesome. It's both music-based. They're both incredible films. And Paul Williams, speaking of ASCAP, he's the president, right, Mm -hmm. at this time. I think that that would be a perfect, perfect, perfect double feature. It'll never happen, though, but... Do you have any volumes of your music that are available? And if so, where can people find them? At Bad Techno, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. And there I have my link tree up and it has a link to all my stuff, like my music, my everything. So in there, I have separate sections, ones for the last drive-in and then ones from my solo stuff, which is not related to the last drive-in. So you can find it anywhere on Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. So if you want, the easiest way to find it is to go to either at Bad Techno on Instagram or Twitter and press my link tree and it has everything there. Other than that, you can search for John Brennan and the Big Feet, but I don't know about Google Analytics these days. I don't know what they're doing to suppress John Brennan and the Big Feet. I, 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 and I don't want to know. So uh, I don't want to insult Google Analytics, but I want to, but I'm not. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Who knows? Hey, we might be the top search, but my name, John Brennan, is so common that I have to I yeah, did you know you were a people. Civil War general, by the way, John? <laughs> uh, I was a Civil War general. I was also uh, the head of the CIA for a while. That's yeah. John O'Brennan. Um, yeah, you and... don't look a day above 35. <laughs> you really don't. Good job. Good job. <laughs> 
I, I really appreciate that. He was the head of the I always say this. This is the dumbest joke of all time. But he was the head of the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. And I'm the head of the CIA, the Cookie Institute of America. Cookie! I love it. So. <laughs> That's how you can discern between the two of us. The newest film that you've worked on, hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, which is Troma's send-up of The Tempest, is getting its New York City premiere at the Museum of the Moving Image in Astoria, Queens in April of 2022. I can't tell you how excited I am for this. I want to purchase a ticket as soon as tickets become available. I do want to show up. I would love to get an opportunity to cover it for the Music is Live podcast, but I mostly want to support Troma and purchase a ticket. I don't want it for free. Please take this time to discuss the film, the production, the New York City premiere, and any other city that it's playing at, and what specific day it's going to be premiering sure. in Queens. Please so take this time. We filmed this movie way back in 2018. Of course, not predicted, and it took about a year of uh, post-production, and without predicting the pandemic, it sort of stopped us on a theatrical run, of course. We had an online premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival, which was amazing. Great response. This has some of the best reviews in trauma history. If you go to shakespeareshitstorm.com, there's a bunch of portals and you could go to praise and you'll see how many people are saying that this is Lloyd's magnum opus. I mean, some people talked a little crap, but their mental capacity was old man yells at cloud. And that's just not great criticism for a film. It's got a great response. So finally, now that things are sort of lightening up and uh, movie theaters are back open, we have Museum of Moving Image which is playing us on April 8th. That's in Astoria, Queens. And in tandem with that, we're opening up at the Cinema Village in Manhattan for a week-long engagement. Every night, I believe at like 11 p.m., we'll have a screening of Shakespeare's Shitstorm. And then on top of that, we're ready to break. We're ready to break all out to the world. So if you know a theater that wants to play us, this is our break. So we're ready. And Lloyd's ready to do, you know, appearances and all sorts of stuff. He's... uh He's ready to get out of the house after this long, cold pandemic. But part of this movie that was beautiful is Lloyd and, and Troma have been making movies up in Buffalo for um, for over a decade. Since uh, Citizen Toxie, I believe. Right. So, that you know, they were very comfortable up there. Buffalo was great to them. In fact, Buffalo now is a hub for independent film and, I, and Troma helped spark that. Um, but we were more, we were interested at the time to bring uh trauma back to new york proper so we didn't have to go stay in hotels and on floors uh you know the whole time mm -hmm. although some people still did sleep on floors for this movie but totally uh you know it was it was under their own choices to sleep <laughs> on the floor but yeah we filmed the bulk of this movie in astoria queens where we're gonna have the museum of the moving image that's my well. hometown so uh much oh, respect see, for that. you know and then on top of that we did parts in brooklyn we did parts in uh new york city proper uh, Coney Island, but this this is really interesting because Justin Martell, uh, who is one of the producers of The Last Drive-In, produced this movie with me, and he got parts of the movie filmed in Albania. We're the first American production to ever shoot a major motion picture in Albania. We would not have been able to do the things that we did here, what we were able to do there. I mean, they gave us a Coast Guard boat, and all kind, it looks like a battleship. And they, they also created these CGI whales that are photorealistic that are jumping over the boat and shitting all over it. Yeah, I it's, saw that in the trailer. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's nothing. I mean, this there's a reason it's called hashtag Shakespeare shitstorm. Let's put it that way. It's shitting on Big Pharma. So there's a good reason for it. So that's the thing is like Lloyd has always wanted to make The Tempest 
but he said he was never old enough. He wanted to be old enough to play Prospero himself. So now he's old enough to play essentially what he says is like a magician whose magic is sort of failing. It's like in tandem with his life now where he's like, you know, close to ready to uh, retire and sort of things like that. Mm -hmm. So he felt like he had something to say with this. And I believe he said it. And he said it in a major way. And he he has stated that if this is his last movie, he's completely happy with that. It's sort of a summation of his career. That's I'm cool. just, I'm, I'm so excited. It's essentially a spiritual equal sequel to It's Romeo and Juliet, which is my favorite trauma movie. Parting is such sweet sorrow. <laughs> totally sucks. It's just a dream come true to get to be a part of it. I can't wait to see it with a crowd. Because I've seen it with, you know, four people here, five people there, but never with a packed audience. And there's going to be some moments, uproarious moments. I, I can't wait. And like I said, I definitely want to purchase a ticket. My friend and former co-worker from NBC, Stephanie, actually is in the film. She plays the faux news reporter. Oh, cool. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I remember that day we shot at Brooklyn Fireproof, a soundstage in, I think it's Bushwick, but they gave us so much stuff. They gave us an alleyway and all this, and we have so many extras in that scene. It's like a huge protest scene. It's amazing. Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, April 8th, Museum of the Moving Image, Astoria, Queens. Buy your tickets right now. Go to Troma's website to find out where you need to. That's Troma.com. You said if people want to know more about you or what you're doing, they could go on your social media, Bad Techno at Instagram and uh, Twitter. Yeah, Instagram, Twitter at Bad Techno or BadTechno.com. It'll lead you to portals to all my stuff. Very cool. Last question. Your favorite Troma film? Oh, it's a tall order, but I mean, here, let me think. Uh, what? Well, let me put it this way. Here's a movie that I think is criminally underrated that people should see from the trauma library. And it's called There's Nothing Out There. I love this Never movie. Heard and it. I just, oh, it's so good. It's it's written and directed by Rolf Konevsky, who's done things in the industry uh, since. This movie is like the proto scream. Uh, it came out before the original scream. And it's one of the first horror movies that like sort of calls attention to itself and has a main character who's like, don't go down that dark hallway because blah, 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 blah happens in horror movies and that kind of shit. And it's really low budget, but it's really entertaining. And I, I saw the vinegar syndrome disc of it um, last summer. And I, I love it. I loved it. That's one that I would highly recommend to people. Redneck zombies is another beautiful, beautiful shot on video made <laughs> by people who just had the passion to finish a movie. Pericles and, Loons, uh, who plays yeah. the guy that gets his hand eaten by the VHS player in Toxic Avenger yes. Part 3. Yeah. So that's and another ate one. the worms in the beginning of Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. Yeah. And then the, finally, the most underrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we know a lot about trauma, but I think that the most underrated movie that I saw that got um, picked up while I was at trauma and not enough people have seen it. And I hope that this thing grows over time is this movie called Slimed slimed watch slime it's so fucking funny it's like it's one of the funniest trauma movies that has been put out there so highly recommend slimed i think it's from 2010 i'm gonna check it out john i really can't thank you enough i know you're a busy man and you know it was great running into you at the clutch concert at the paramount um, you know, when I told you I had this platform and I said I would love th the opportunity to have you on and you enthusiastically said, yes, I'm sorry it took as long as it did, but it's all good. I, this uh, was great. I, 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 I'm really honored the fact that you even came on and I had a blast talking with you. And, you know, it's going to be amazing work trying to edit this down. Maybe I'll get a job with trauma for it. But <laughs> ah, just uh, put it out. Just put the whole damn thing out of people listen. They do if they don't. 
fire herpes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I, John Brennan, thank you. Really, all the best uh, for you and your career. All the best to the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs, and uh, you know, please consider this an open invitation to come back anytime. And you know, tell Darcy I love her. <laughs> I will absolutely. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so. Thank you. For more on the Music Is Live podcast, check us out over at musicislivepodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check out our parent network, Ratsai Review, over at ratsireview.com. And to continue with our love for trauma, I'm going to be on an episode of Just the Cheese, Please, where I'm going to be talking about the Toxic Avenger with Tara J and Adam. Looking forward to that. But until then, this is Lou Mavs. You're watching or listening to the Music Is Live podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And remember... All art is valid. Cheers. Wait, this is video the whole damn time? I've been on fucking video. <laughs> oh, you knew that. <laughs> I was picking my nose the whole time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Music Aside podcast brought to you by Anchor.fm and Ratsad Review. Check out the other shows on Ratsad Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man Metals Musings, The Right Opinion, The Vieira Vault, The Timo Toki Podcast, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, and The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. Graphics by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislivepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Mavs at musicislivepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislivepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Everyone must stand and take the drive-in oath. We are drive-in mutants. We are sick. We are disgusting. We believe in blood, in breasts, and in beasts. If life had a vomit beater, we'd be off the scale. As long as one drive-in remains on the planet Earth, we will party like jungle animals. We will boogie till we puke. Drive in will never die. Amen. Amen.